Hi, welcome to Over Beers, a craft beer conversation podcast. I'm Freddie Clark. In 1889, Yardley National Bank opened its doors on South Main Street in Yardley, Pennsylvania. An 8,000-pound vault door was installed prior to the construction's completion. For the next 120 years or so, the vault was used to hold only money. But in October 2012, the vault was converted to hold something much more precious. It became a beer cellar when the Vault Brewing Company opened its doors to the public. Brothers John and James Kane wanted to re-envision the concept of a brew pub and create a truly unique experience. A few weeks ago, I had a chance to sit down with John Kane and Director of Production Ops Amey Muncor in the production brewing facility right down the street from the brew pub. We had a great conversation where we covered their backgrounds and approach for their beer and their brew pub. During our conversation, the topic of sensory evaluation came up, so I thought it'd be a great place to start the show today. While there are plenty of testing methods for beer that use various instruments and take scientific measurements, sensory evaluation is different. It's done by people and relies on their sensory perceptions. It's used to talk about the subtle aspects of beer, like freshness, quality, balance, style, and drinkability. There are four main aspects that are evaluated. Appearance, aroma, flavor, and mouthfeel. Appearance will include talking about its color, anything from light straw through black, its clarity, transparent through opaque, its foam, thickness, color texture, and retention, or how quickly it will collapse. When talking about aroma, there are a wide range of descriptors that can be used. The four major ingredients in beer can be combined to create a great range of aromas. Anything like grain, bread crust, caramel, chocolate, banana, coffee, and the list goes on and on. And there are a number of terms that can be used to talk about when things go wrong in the brewing process. Butterscotch, scum, sulfur, vinegar, etc. Beer's flavors can be equally complex in descriptions and often go hand-in-hand with its aroma. Bitterness is often used, but so is malty, sweet, sour, and citrusy. Plus, there are numerous ways to talk about beer when things have gone wrong in the taste department, too. I'm sure you've got your favorite adjectives for those. Mouthfeel describes the texture of beer. Its weight, warmth, slickness, carbonation, those are all common. Many breweries, large and small, are going to use sensory evaluation in-house, sometimes in their quality control departments. It's also used to gauge a consumer's view on a beer. There are a number of tools and guidelines to help evaluate beer. One of the most common is the Beer Flavor Wheel. It was developed by Morton Mealgard in the 1970s. The wheel provides a wide range of beer descriptors to create a standard vocabulary for everyone to use. Which brings us back to our conversation. We were sitting in the Vault Brewery. Apologies for the noise, but it's a production brewery. And I asked John what got him into brewing to kick off our conversation over beers. So this goes back six years where I come from a background in consulting. So I have a business degree and my first job out of college was business consulting. And my brother uh, came from a marketing background. So I worked for a direct marketing firm out of college. And I distinctly remember this one conversation we had where a year and a half into our jobs, we looked at each other and said, we can't picture doing this five years from now. Okay. And I think that was probably a lot of stories start this way where we knew we weren't necessarily cut out for that and wanted to do something we were passionate about. And our inspiration really started from Australia. My family has spent seven years there and we have a sister brewery out there, Mornington Peninsula Brewery. And so a lot of the inspiration as far as what we were trying to create at Vault came from an experience there. 
where we had a close friend who is an owner of the brewery and they have a very industrial setting and this, this goes back seven years so this was um, Australian beer culture is a little bit different than ours and they were much more um, a trendsetter out there so they just did wood-fired pizza all of the equipment was very much on display and it was just a very intimate experience and we were, we were so inspired to bring that same experience to our hometown. Mm-hmm. So we grew up in Doylestown down the road and there really wasn't a similar experience in this area. It's not just a brewery, it's also a restaurant. Why the two things then? Was it because of that influence from the brewery in Australia, the brew pub in Australia? It, it, it all started from wanting to create a holistic experience. Okay. And we wanted every aspect of that experience to be very much front and center. Okay. So we had this, this vision that we, were, that we were trying to create where we envisioned ourselves sitting, drinking a pint of beer and eating a slice of pizza and being surrounded by the aspects that allowed for that. Okay. So that's why if you, if you, are, if you go into our restaurant, our wood-fired oven is very much on display and you can look in the hearth and see the fire. Right. And you okay. turn and you can look behind the bar and you can see the stainless where the beer is actually being dispensed. Mm-hmm. So in our minds, it, was, it had to be a holistic experience. We saw the two as like forming that interplay that allowed for the experience that we were trying to replicate based on what we experienced in Australia. Okay. One thing on the website that I found very interesting was I, the video. I think it was, was you. Or was that your uh, brother? My brother. My that brother. was your brother, sorry. Yep. Um, uh, they look very much alike. <laughs> uh, James is about six inches taller than yeah, yeah. Well, seven yeah. inches. Seven inches. inches. Yeah. All right. Well, he was sitting, so. Yeah. <laughs> but he said something that was very interesting to me about you don't just taste beer with your mouth, it's a whole experience. Exactly. It's where you drink it the people you're with, the atmosphere around it. And that was like, that was an interesting take that I had never heard anybody come from that perspective. Right, and uh, my background in the last few years has been sensory. And sensory covers all aspects of sensory. In terms of beer sensory, it's mostly aroma and taste. But uh, if you look at beer, you know, kind of in a longer form, if I give you a light colored beer, you've already consumed it with your eyes. Mm -hmm. So you have some pre, predisposed notions to believe what it's going to taste like, what it's going to smell like. And if I give you a dark beer, um, you're going to have some preconceived notions as to what it's going to taste like. And, and most of those preconceived notions are wrong. <laughs> oh, they are. Exactly. And, you know, and we actually, uh, not to make anybody sound silly here, but two years ago at GABF, um, Pat Fahey from the Cicerone Certification Program and myself, we did a, a draft quality workshop. And so we just took Sierra Nevada Pale Ale and we added a uh, flavorless coloring agent to Sierra Nevada Pale Ale and gave people two samples. And we said, all right, can you describe the flavors? And so these were brewers we're talking about, right? Coming in for draft dispense. We'll we'll name no names. But essentially, (laughs) we said, can you describe the flavors? Just shout them out. And everybody knew Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, Cascade Hops. Uh, It's the classic all-American beer, uh, craft beer, I should say. And then when the color... The, the darker beer, which was had no flavor difference, came in. People were like, I love those coffee and roasted notes. Uh, and, you know, these are people who are very close to the product. So clearly right. it's, uh, uh, I won't say we're blinded. I, I say our brain tries to make sense of the world around us. Mm-hmm. And so even before we get close to the beer itself, we've told our brain that this is what we're going to get. Right. You see a darker beer, you're automatically thinking it's going to be heavier. Right. You know, it's going to it's gonna be a thicker, 
heavier beer, um, probably more alcohol content, and usually the exact opposite is true. Oh yeah, and you look at beer like Guinness, for instance, mm-hmm. right? Guinness is four and a half percent. Right. It's uh, and people love to say Guinness tastes like a loaf of bread, or I dr- I feel like you know I've just consumed a loaf of bread. And Guinness is one of the cleanest, easiest drinking beers you'll ever find on the market. Mm-hmm. It's just you can. You can um, Obviously, I'm not recommending anybody to drink this many, but you could probably knock down a half a dozen of them and uh, you're ready to go. Tell me about your journey to beer. Because from what you were saying earlier, you've taken a very in-depth and varied approach. Right. So do you want me to take up the whole podcast or well, just no, a bit? You know, All right. Condense it down cool. into a few minutes. <laughs> so I'll give you the Cliff's Notes then. And so essentially, I, I kind of went fell backwards into beer. And it was also in Australia, but just a few years before. It was 2003 and I'd moved there. And I moved with $2,000 in my pocket and drank through it in the first month, partying hard. Australia is not cheap. And my, my RA, my resident assistant at the time in the halls that I lived in, I was an exchange student, okay. started making beer. And he said, hey, you can make beer on the cheap. So my buddy and I uh, went in Habsies on a, a brew kit and we started making beer and it was really bad. So and everybody's early, oh, you know, we had yeah. to. We, I think we chopped out our first couple of um, our brews because it, we had pellicles when we didn't want pellicles. Okay. And so, uh, essentially, uh, my beer journey started as a really bad brewer. I don't think that's changed that much yet. <laughs> so I'm still working on it, but. You're not the head brewer here, right? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, Clarify that. Yes, yes. No, um, Mark makes the beer here. Okay. Yes, and I'm glad it's him and not me. Okay, fair and enough. And so, so essentially, I kind of fell backwards into beer, into making beer that way. And I graduate. I mean, I graduated school with a degree in genetics. Decided that uh, academia wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. So, and this was in the U.S. I went to Penn State. Okay. And moved back to India and became a, uh, I, I signed up as a trainee brewer with the, the Miller Brewing Company. So okay. uh, I worked with the Miller Brewing Company for a little over a year and then took a six year break, a hiatus from beer and did IT things, half my time in India, half my time here. Okay. And that's where Vault Brewing Company comes into the picture. It was 2012 and I kind of was floundering for direction in life. So I actually used to go to Vault Brewing Company and write my essays for what I thought should be my at that time future was going to business school okay and what you know my, i had my dad proofread them and he said do you not see what i see and i say he says read them over and every essay was about beer and i was like so oh, so what do you want to do after your mba get into the beer industry that was your passion yeah so dad's pretty much like why don't you just cut out the middleman right and okay. so moved to scotland and um join no i i did my master's program at the international center for brewing and distilling okay. at harriet watt university and so I graduated 2000 and uh, I believe it was 14. And we took like a month long road trip and hit up a bunch of breweries at that point. And so. In Scotland? In Scotland. No, yeah. no, here. Oh, here. Cross yeah, country. Okay. We started in Philly, yeah. okay. went all the way up to Seattle and then drove down to Los Angeles, that, where his parents live. Okay. And so I am meandering here. I apologize. No, it's okay. But essentially after that, I joined a company in the UK called Aroxa Car Technology, and they focus on sensory, on beer sensory, teaching technical people, so quality brewers, how to taste beer from a very objective standpoint, mm-hmm. picking out fl- chemical flavors, ke- the chemicals that are responsible for the flavors that we taste in beer, and teaching teaching brewers on how to manage those flavors in the beer. So say you're making a Hefeweizen, how do you make sure you have more clove flavor or less, or banana flavor or less? And there's obviously many variables on how you make beer. So that was my last three years. So 
The last three years have been spent helping people learn how to tinker with beer to get the flavors they want out of them. Okay. And um, it was a, there was a huge sales component to that job, and I was a little bit sick of you know living out of a suitcase. Mm-hmm. And I kind of missed making beer, so this is where you know we've been talking about working together because we drink a lot together. And after a couple of beers, you always talk about working together, right? Right. right. <laughs> so uh, it big finally, plans after yeah, two or three exactly. beers. I know, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so <laughs> it, it finally all happened, and. It's, um, I'm here. Uh, I moved from Scotland about on the 7th of November. I don't think I've taken a day off since. So it's... Um, it's really new. Yeah, it's very, very new, yeah. And so at this point... Today I'm, is December 7th. It's been a month. So I guess it's, yeah, my one-month anniversary. <laughs> yeah. yeah, cheers to that. Cheers. Yeah. cheers. <laughs> so your, your education, your background, especially with the sensory pieces, would marry very well with a good brewer. Right, and that kind of goes all the way back to my time at Miller. Mm-hmm. As I was, so I was shift brewing manager, and the brewery I worked at pumped out a half a billion, half a million barrels a year. Sorry, not that much beer. And so, well, I mean, I managed twenty people in any shift. So I was managing hot side, cold side, fermentation, uh, filtration, and so you don't really actually press any buttons, but your goal is to make the beer better through process control, mm-hmm. optimizing process, and that's kind of how I approach making beer. I don't think making beer necessarily means turning levers and putting bags of malt into the mill. It's, for me, it's uh, how can I focus on making the beer better in kind of a larger fashion and say, let's focus on quality as a, a greater perspective rather than just these small things. Mm-hmm. And I think in a lot of cases, it's easy to make beer, but it's really hard to make great beer. Mm-hmm. And so focusing on the small things that people don't even consider as uh, drivers of beer flavor, uh, what people like, and brewers can tend to get a little bit selfish. We focus on the product a little bit too much in here and not necessarily always connect with what the consumer really wants and we have to kind of find a middle ground there mm-hmm. and so it's trying to find where the consumer wants to meet us and while not entirely giving up our own ethos as as a brewing company mm-hmm. the entire experience is very important to you guys yep and I'm wondering how much of your time are you spending in the production beer facility versus how much of your time are you spending on the floor at the brew pub. I think we've, we've, that's one thing we've done well. We've always stayed very close to our customers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, we, we live by certain principles. We make it a point every day to stop by the brew pub, have a pint, and show face with our regulars and ask them what they think about the beer. And we okay. always stress critical, honest feedback. Okay. Like it's for us, it's a, it's a feedback loop. Like I say, even though a man knows quality, and even though he could. Um, pick out 30 flavors in a beer that a patron may not be able to detect. At the end of the day, for us, it's we've always been operating under the ethos of when you finish any any pint of our beer, you should be uh, thirsting for another one. Mm-hmm. It, which is, in my mind, a pretty simple, um, pretty simple indication of whether or not you enjoyed the beer. And I'm just going to add to that real quick. And I think all since in my in my month here, it's been pretty interesting because it's it's really important to get a f- complete feedback from the entire supply chain. So I work with our distributors. Uh, last night, John and I just went down to the city to hang out at a couple bars that carry our beer, and we didn't wear any branded clothing. We just made sure that you know we, we got a feel for how people feel, because a lot of times I feel that craft beer now lives in a bit of an echo chamber. The minute somebody knows that you work in a brewery, they're gonna say only nice things about your beer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's not really gonna help us improve our quality, how we approach the customer. Because we might make a great beer, we just might not find a great way to get it to people where they understand it. And so I think uh, context is very important. Uh-huh. So trying to get as many data points around how our product is perceived, consumed, enjoyed, 
And sometimes it's nice to go out there and thank people for choosing us rather than anybody else. And uh, they, you know, we realized that they could have chosen 20 other taps, but they chose ours. And there's there's a bit of pride in seeing that. And so, you know, sometimes we need a little pat on the back too. Right. Well, it's not, it's it, it's good to get that positive feedback. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. You know, as well as the negative feedback, as well as the what didn't you like. And I think what's important to realize at the kind of the nuts and bolts of it is we are just like any other place of a food production facility Mm -hmm. and unless we get the food right there's no point in big tattoos and fancy beards and flat brim hats like the ones i wear so uh, it's you know if you if you can't get the basics right you know the rest of it is just fluff okay right so it's really important to make sure that you start with a really strong base and everybody's version of what beer is is extremely subjective it's not fair to say that uh, any brewer down the road is doing things right or wrong. It's just they're doing it their way. And as long as we're really happy with where we are, I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Now, going back to the basics, going back to the beginning mm-hmm. of, of Vault, because of the time period it was, 2010-ish, I'm guessing, right? 2011? 2011. 2011. That's when you guys that's started. When we, that's, that's when we that's started. That's when the concept began. Yeah. Okay. Then how, from the beginning of the concept to opening the doors the first day, mm-hmm. how long was that? That was a year and eight months. Okay. When those doors opened, was there a line out the door? Or was it something you had to build over time? Or was it an instant, we hit this out of the park? Um, it was interesting. I think that we, when we originally set out to create, was not the experience that the town was looking for from us. And it took us a little while to realize that. Okay. And I'll elaborate on that. So we, I think, uh, you mentioned this earlier, related to uh, brewers having little interest in getting into making food. We had no interest in doing anything besides making pies. Because at the end of the day, we wanted to be making beer. But, um, so we opened our doors with a menu consisting of five pizzas and hummus. Also, let's okay. not forget, you opened on the week of Hurricane Sandy, so you didn't have electricity. That's true. Yeah, we lost electricity <laughs> the first week. week. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Uh, good thing you have <laughs> a wood burning oven. Yeah. <laughs> there's, so there's a tremendous amount of hype when we opened, because this is back in 2012, where the closest brewery was 30 miles away. Mm-hmm. And the town was hungry for it, the area was hungry for it. Um, and my brother and I didn't come from any uh, background in running a restaurant. Okay. And so we, we enjoyed a lot of hype and we enjoyed a lot of press over the first two to three months, but we had to humble ourselves to some degree and really listen to our customers because it, was, it soon became clear to us that our customers wanted more from us than just um, a selection of six or seven beers and, and pizzas. They were, they were looking for us to put a better foot forward when it came to offering food, mm-hmm. when it came to offering better service on the restaurant front, when it came to getting all, all the other aspects right when it comes to running a restaurant, which when you're going in and making beer, you don't necessarily consider. Right. So I would say we, we enjoyed a lot of hype initially and we had to learn a lot of lessons in the first year about changing our ethos and changing our, our mission um, in order to become the business that our, our patrons want us to become. Okay. And so now if you were to go to our restaurant, we have something like nine wines available. We're just now um, beginning to, be, to debut craft cocktails. We have something like 25 to 30 menu items. And I think, I think that a lot of brewers would be disinterested in, in their, their concept becoming that. But in our minds, we wanted to be the destination that our customers um, would most enjoy. And that's what's led to success today. Now, getting into the weeds a little bit with that, was it 
education for the two of you, or did you then bring in other people to help? Like, so did you you brought in a brewer? Correct. Did you bring in a chef, or was it the two of you then? It was uh, a little bit of both. So okay. uh, my brother's wife was our chef for the first year. Okay. And, and there's still menu items that she's oh, created yeah, our, and they're amazing. It, yeah. our, our, our top two sellers are still the menu items that she created, our brown sugar buffalo pizza, our buffalo cauliflower. And she was really, she had a, a pretty, um, she was very influential in determining our uh, identity as far as what we offered on the, on the food side. Uh, but we did need help. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's you can't just bring a person in who doesn't have buy-in and expect them to solve all your problems. Right. It, it requires day-to-day focus and, and, and day-to-day um, attention mm-hmm. to make sure that you get the detail right to the kind of water glasses you're using and wrap-ups you're using and vendors you're using and, and the, the atmosphere is, is on point on a nightly basis. So mm-hmm. it's it, it, was, it was pretty interesting. So we needed help, but at the same time, we were there every step of the way. We had to be. The tap room, the restaurant is very unique in, in vibe, in, in decor. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of that was there day one, or is this a vibe? did that evolve over time as well? I would say it's about 70% of what it used to be. Yeah. I think if you ask a lot of our regulars, we opened up with uh, the only bar, we opened up one without bar stools. Because uh, while we had had several concepts that uh, one was the idea that we would never put a TV in the restaurant because we wanted to we wanted to um, enable an atmosphere where people were connecting with one another, connecting over a pint of beer, connecting over a pizza. And we thought we saw TV as just distracting from that. Mm -hmm. And to this day, we still we don't offer TV. So I think we were right in that regard. But we also had this concept that bar stools were limiting and prevented you from getting to the bar uh, effectively, okay. which <laughs> we learned about two weeks in, <laughs> was, created a host of problems. And we had these, uh, the only bar stools we had for our high tops were these these metal tractor seats that were repurposed, which I would say 80% of our customers found tremendously uncomfortable and the other 20% that like found them ergonomically perfect. So. Hashtag so damn craft. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but as far as the, the, the I think what what, um, what people people describe our, our restaurant oftentimes as, as as striking as regal and like that in some of the adjectives that you use and that's um, part of the reason I think we've found success in our customer base has been as forgiving and has been as willing to stay with us along the, our journey to what we are today. Um, but a lot of those elements exist today. Like I said, from the onset, we really wanted to bring every aspect of the experience front and center. Okay. So our, our oven still is the, our copper cloud oven with, with a, a completely wood fired. It's all that's in display for half of our tables is, I think, part of what sets that warm, cozy atmosphere. We try to provide as much natural candlelit lighting as possible. The tall ceilings help. And we took some risks with a purple ceiling that somehow also worked. So I'd say we got about 70% of it right. Okay, and tweaked it from there. Yeah, and we still store beer in the vault, so. Correct, right, yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, so that, that brings me to my next question is, when you opened, what was the beer like then? What was your thinking behind the beer at that point? Yep, so I remember a conversation where our brewer, James, and I were taking a plane uh, back. brewer's name is Mark Thomas. Yeah, thank you. Brewer's <laughs> yeah. name is Mark Thomas. Yes. <laughs> now, Mark Thomas has been with us from the beginning, about okay. six years now. So I remember Mark, James, and I were on a, on a plane back from Colorado. And in those, in those four hours, we hashed out what our opening menu would be. And the perspective Mark took was he wanted to make sure that we were um, taking care of every aspect of our demographic, that we didn't just want to have 
uh, a line of, of IPAs and catered towards you know, the craft nature. We understood that we were in the suburbs. We understood that we're in Yardley and craft beer is new to the majority of our customer base. And so we had five beers on tap when we opened up. We always had, in fact, we used this vision for the first two years, I want to say, of our draftlets. It's since evolved. We had a wheat-driven beer. We had a hop-driven beer. We had a spice-driven beer. And we had a stout, and we had one seasonal beer. Mm-hmm. So that's it's. Uh, I think it's a bit probably like an old school way of thinking about tapless nowadays. But that led to success on our end because most of our customers found something they enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, our tapless has since evolved, where we have roughly eight beers on tap now. Uh, we always have two to three IPAs. We kind of trend more towards higher ABV beers, and we've and, and Mark has gotten more experimental in the, in the styles of beer and kind of ingredients he, he uses and may maybe if you want to elaborate on how it's, it's changed from um, the beginning because that may is, was the, the, the third was, day one he yeah. was sitting on one of those oh. uncomfortable bar stools oh uh, yeah, yeah. Um, if he was lucky enough to actually yeah. no <laughs> what happened and this is I, I'm still quite upset about this is I had my space in the corner of the bar and they turned that into the server area just to make sure that I didn't stand there anymore <laughs> So to this day, it is uh, something that I will change uh, when I have enough power. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, you want that spot back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was my corner part with the bar. But it's been nice going away and coming back is because I get little snapshots mm-hmm. of how we've made beer. And I've always said a couple things. Is I think Mark is one of the best black beer, brewer, beer, beer brewers I've seen. So, you know, the way he makes a porter and he, the way he makes a stout is pretty unbelievable he's I don't I don't think I've had a bad one essentially and I think he the way he's made hoppy beers has evolved he's going to he's been very traditional and I enjoy that actually the beer we're drinking as we speak right now the five C's and it still harkens back to the traditional craft hops that were used a long time ago it's rather than going super forward and that being said we have the mosaic imperial IPA right over there that's coming out soon sorry this is not meant to be a sales pitch no, it's okay. um, it's part of it. don't worry about it <laughs> But essentially, um, Mark is Mark likes to describe us as a vinyl brewery. Uh, what does that mean? It's you know you might have technologies that are much more advanced than vinyl right now to listen to okay. music. Okay. But we still like that little bit of static, and we okay. still like taking you know the record out of its sheath and putting it on the player and the whole experience. That's correct. Yes. And we uh, when we make beer, we we think of more than just what it tastes like. We think about how it's made, the process, and uh, it's really important, I think, focus on all aspects of it. So okay. that, that's kind of our ethos as a company and a brewery. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about the beer we're having right now. So right now, I'm still working on the five C's. Well, it is a very traditional IP in its design. You know, mm-hmm. it's got a malt bill that's a little bit bigger. Uh, you know, people like to describe that as a malt backbone that matches yeah. hops. So it's a more traditional IPA. It's, it's our IPA that's gone into kind of larger production. So we started canning beer about a year ago. Is that right? Um, consistently. Yeah. Consistently, okay. right. So we can every week now almost. And so this is the beer, our hoppy beer that's gone into consistent production. We produce the most of it. It's very... We also make sure, you know, Mark says, you know, he, he wants some change from batch to batch. So while we use the same hops in there and essentially the same ingredients, what we're doing each time is a tiny bit different. Okay. So he's tweaking. Yeah, constantly. And, I, you know, that is what craft beer is mm-hmm. at its core is I'm not saying that consistency is bad or key. It's just very important to realize that there is room to play. The whole goal of what we do is having a bit of fun. Okay. And so it's important to, you know, you're not really 
you're not going a little bit too crazy, but within certain bounds, you're having a bit of fun with, with the beer and the ingredients that you've been given. And, you know, if we set out with the same malt bill and same hop bill, it's kind of fun to change one or two variables and see what where that takes you with the finished product. One thing of aspect of, that you guys in the last year then is that you are canning and distributing beyond just the brew pub now. Correct. How far out are you are you distributing to? You guys mentioned Philadelphia. Yep. Um, I mean, where else can where else can you find Vault? So right now we're in four counties in New Jersey. The furthest point being Long Island. Uh, no, that's Long, not in New Jersey. Sorry, Long Beach Island. Okay. Excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> All right, Long Beach Island. Long Beach Island. Okay. Um, and we are distributing in Philadelphia and the four counties surrounding Philadelphia. Okay. The furthest being uh, Lancaster. Okay. So Lancaster to Long Beach Island. All right. That's, that's about our, our that's spread. A, that's a good spread. That's yeah. a good Someday spread. Long yeah. Someday Long Island. Someday Long Island. Okay. <laughs> uh, and Manhattan on the way, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are the challenges beyond... What new challenges did canning and distributing bring that you may not have realized? Well, it's, I think it's bigger than that for us is because, you know, as a company, we've changed identities in the last year. We're sitting in our, our new brand spanking new brewery. We used to make beer in a seven, eight barrel system back at the brew pub. And now we have a 20 barrel system that could do four turns a day if we wanted it to. Mm-hmm. And so changing from a brew pub concept to a production brewery that owns a brew pub is has been quite a transition for us and i think we're still feeling it out we're trying to see what beers we want in the market we're trying to see this this is where customer feedback comes in this is where having a close relationship with our distributors comes in is understanding what people want and what we want to make so i think we're still in the process of I mean, our, all our beer go, goes out the door. We have nothing in, in the cold, cold storage. I pretty much pulled our samples from our, our uh, shelf life shelf. Okay. So, <laughs> so you know, our, we, and so at this point, we can't make enough, but we're still trying to find out if it's the right kind of beer for us to be making. Okay. And that, by that, I don't mean that we don't know who we are as a brewery. It's mostly... We're trying. We we're having some fun at this point. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you gotta you gotta mess around and see what see what sticks. Right. And you know right. what? And we hope that the consumer trusts us. And if we're doing things that are starting to get a little too cute or precious, they let us know. Okay. Now, are you seeing a lot of people who are in those vicinity, in those places in Philadelphia, in New Jersey, out through Long Beach Island? Is the name recognition there? already for most of them like are they like oh yeah i've been to the brew pub or is it is it a new beer that they've never had i think it really depends um our name recognition in philadelphia um has has performed better because we self-distributed in philadelphia we've been self-distributing for uh two years we we, our, our thought was eventually we would get to the point where we could satisfy the market, but we any excess beer, as we're operating as a brew pub, we would send to select bars in the city. Okay, so all right, we, so it was we, getting yeah, out there. Right? Exactly, so okay. our beer has been in Philly for some time now. Um, and I would say within roughly a 20 mile radius of the brew pub, any any bar you go to around there, a, a customer walk in, see a vault tap, and understand what to expect. Okay. But on the, the, the outer boundaries of Bucks County and Chester County, it's, we, we, it's, 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 a, it's a little bit it's a, it's a different pitch mm-hmm. it's been, and it gets more difficult every day as the as the number of breweries are multiplying right so that's it for for us as Amay was talking some of the challenges you need to have a a pretty uh, well-defined story and identity as a brewery 
nowadays, I believe, in order to stand out amongst the herd. Okay. Well, so with, with so much of your identity being in the entire experience of the Blue Pub, I, you can't convey that whole experience in the can. Exactly. How do you approach the very different aspect of that? And like, that's yeah. where I think we are at is, which is why I mentioned earlier, is we're, st we're still playing with our portfolio, okay. is with that transition, it's trying to figure out what we want to make on a consistent basis, how we structure. I, I know most breweries like to structure things as flagships, seasonals, one-offs. Is that a model that works for us, or do mm -hmm. we just want because we, you know, the, the kind of canning we use, it's mobile canning, and then we can just put whatever label we want, want on right. there, and so that gives us a huge amount of flexibility okay. as to how we want to make beer. And that so right now, we know what we always make. None of the beers that you're tasting now have been produced specially for can runs. Mm -hmm. These are all beers you could consume at our brew pub in the last five years. Some of them are tweaked a tiny bit. But essentially trying to figure out which ones travel well. And this is where quality also comes in. Because I don't want somebody drinking our beer in three months that's been sat on a shelf that tastes nothing like it did. Right. So do we want to send beers out there that are a little bit more shelf stable? Uh, how do we give people enough, enough of a tease that they say, hey, we want to go visit the brew pub or the brewery now. And so right. it's, it's, it's kind of a fine dance that we're playing here. We're not trying to overthink it. Okay. We're kind of just saying, we'll make what we make and we'll send it out and we'll see how, you know, right now, we just released a Weizenbach. It's pretty bang on, but we decided not to can it. And it was just a decision that we made. So it's, it, at this point, the plan is the plan till there's no plan. Okay. okay. I guess uh, if I were to piggyback on that, yeah. Um, and we're, we're learning lessons as we, as we continue to grow in this business. We've been at it for about seven or eight months now. Um, and we're beginning to understand that, it, that, that uh, customers are more willing to buy into people than they are brand. Mm -hmm. And so we've, we've found a lot more success creating personal relationships with bartenders, with uh, bar managers, with general managers, with our distributors and their reps. Because they're the ones that are, that are sharing the story and telling the story and the story is what crafts the experience around how they're drinking the beverage right i was at one of our earlier accounts maybe about a year and a half ago and i was i was there on a date and we were having a having a pint i just overheard the bartender describing vault to the customers and he didn't he spent about two minutes talking to them about the beer but he didn't want to mention the flavor profile okay. he was he was sharing the whole, whole story and how he had gone down there and his, the personal relationship he developed with the owners and the family, and he, he talked about our, our story, and they ordered another pint after they finished that one. Right. Of the so same. They, 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 so it wasn't. It's, it's much more about buy, it's about buying into something bigger than 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 the label or than the flavor profile. Right. I think is what we're beginning to understand. Thanks, John and Amay. You can find out more about Vault Brewing Company at vaultbrewing.com. Check out the brew pub at 10 South Main Street in Yardley, Pennsylvania. You're going to dig the surroundings, the beer, and the food. Big news. On March 23rd and 24th, Over Beers is going to be at all three sessions of the Atlantic City Beer and Music Festival at the AC Convention Center. We're going to be interviewing folks from the breweries there, have some stuff to give you for swinging by and saying hello, and talking to some of you too, so you can tell the world why you're into beer. We're also going to have tickets to give away to get you to one of those sessions. More info on that to come. Thanks for joining me today. You can find out more about the podcast at our blog, overbeers.beer. Please leave a rating for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. You can also leave a comment at the blog or send me an email. I'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas for the show. The email address is cheers at santefoto.com. 
You can also follow along on Instagram at Sante Photo, S-A-N-T-E-P-H-O-T-O. I'm Freddie Clark, and I'm going to go have a beer, but I'll be back next week with another conversation over beers.